Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In his piece, The Subject and Power, where Michel Foucault is providing us with not only an analysis of power relations, coming at it from a number of different angles, but also an insight into his own ways of thinking about this and why he's doing research in the modes that he's doing, there's a section which is entitled, How is Power Exercised? And he says, for some people asking questions about the how of power, and then he immediately goes into what assumptions he's not making that they are making. And a little bit later, he'll say how, not in the sense of how does it manifest itself, but how is it exercised? And what happens when individuals exert, as we say, power over others? So this emphasis on the how of power is really central to Foucault's conception and analysis of power relations. As it's going to turn out, power relations, in order to study them, you have to also study other things that they are connected with and never completely separate from, but are not also simply reducible to. So why shift to the how? And he says, my goal in doing this is not to eliminate two other questions, the what or the why, the what, which would be more of a definitional, classificational question, you might say, or a ontological or metaphysical question about the very nature of power itself. The why is a teleological question that could be about class motives or why are some people mean and exerting power over others and others are just subject to them. You know, it could, there could be all sorts of ways of understanding this teleology. So why shift to analyzing the how? Foucault says some people might be kind of worried about that. It would mean limiting yourself to describing powers effects without ever relating those effects to causes or a basic nature, which would make this power a mysterious substance one avoids interrogating in itself. No doubt because one prefers not to call it into question, right? And this raises a kind of fatalism. And then he says, when people have that point of view, they're making a really big assumption. What is that big assumption? Power is something that exists with its own distinct origin, basic nature, and manifestations. And that's a big assumption, he thinks. There isn't an essence to power. There isn't a single capital P power out there that all, all other powers are a participation in. He says that we're not introducing a metaphysics or ontology of power that either we would describe or we wouldn't describe that would remain underneath the surface And while we do all of our cool historical analyses. He's saying, Strictly speaking, maybe there isn't any such thing as power as such. He says, I want to introduce this suspicion. And that is indeed Foucault's position. There is no such thing as power per se. There's all sorts of things that we connect together as power. There is no one single simple essence of it. So, you know, this is a good thing to keep in mind when you hear bad takes on Foucault saying everything is power. He's not saying everything is power. He's super clear that not everything is power relations in this, as we're going to see. But there couldn't be a capital P power to reduce everything to. There's no monism here, right? 
We're also going to see another really important realization at the end of this section as well that has to do with people misrepresenting Foucault. So he says there's three things that we have to distinguish. And he says, these aren't really things as such, right? We can't really separate these off into three separate domains. Even these are phenomena. These are realities that we're concerned with. These are things that are depicted, right? That we can open up the historical archive to. And so he says, it's first necessary to distinguish power exerted over things and gives the ability to modify, use, consume, or destroy them. This is a power that stems from aptitudes directly inherent in the body, right? I mean, so think about your choppers, right? Your teeth and your capacity to take in foodstuffs and chomp on it, bite it, chew it up. You use different teeth for different purposes, right? You got your little nibble teeth at the front. You got your chewer teeth at the, the end. We call them molars, right? You got your incisors that you would bite stuff with. Our incisors are not particularly great. And then you've got your bicuspids and, you know, we've got all sorts of different kinds of teeth, right? And then if we want to continue this metaphor, we also have all sorts of technology that heating things up, putting them in the microwave is just one of the very common ways of doing this, but we could go all the way back to using fire and roasting things or cooking them in ovens, transforming them, changing the chemistry so that we can not just taste better things, but consume them and digest them more effectively, right? And we go on and on and on with these sorts of things. And Foucault likes the term objective capacities for this. He says, let us say here, it's a question of capacity. What about power relations? Those are different. How? He says, what characterizes the power we are analyzing is it brings into play relations between individuals or between groups. Okay, so far so good. But I mean, this, this earlier thing could be matters of individuals relating to each other. You know, think about sexual activity. You use your mouth, your, your hands, other organs to do certain things to your partner or partners or whatever's going on. That's not yet power relations. Instead, something else has to be involved. He says, let us not deceive ourselves. If we speak of the power of laws, institutions, and ideologies, if we speak of structures or mechanisms of power, it is only insofar as we suppose certain people exercise power over others. The term power designates relationships between partners, not a game with fixed rules, but simply an ensemble of actions that induce others and follow from each other. A little bit later, he's going to tell us that this has to do with getting other people to do things. So it's creating possibilities in which things can happen, right? It conditions actions of others. So sexuality could, in fact, be a domain where objective capacities are involved, but also power relations. And they could be distinct from, though connected with each other. Then there's another thing that he talks about, relationships of communication. Foucault is very attuned to the fact that language is not all just power, right? Signal, sign, semiotic, linguistic systems, they have their own, you could say, bases and processes that can very often overlap with power relations. You think about how we talk about people or what we portray and how that can figure into power relations as well as objective capacities. He's going to give some examples in a moment, but it's also its own thing. He says, these are relationships of communication that transmit information by means of a language, a system of signs, or any other symbolic medium. No doubt communicating is always a certain way of acting on another person or persons, but 
The production and circulation of elements of meaning can have as their objective or as their consequence certain results in the realm of power. The latter, these results, are not simply an aspect of the former. Whether or not they pass through systems of communication, power relations have a their own specific nature. And so he says, it's very important that we don't confuse power relations, relationships of communication, and objective capacities. That's not to say there's three separate domains, nor that there is on the one hand, the field of things, of perfected technique, work, and the transformation of the real. And on the other, that of signs, communication, reciprocity, and the production of meaning. Finally, that of the domination of the means of constraint, of inequality, the action of men on other men. And he says, no, no, what's the reality that we're dealing with? We have three types of relationships that in fact always overlap one another. That's important. They, they intersect, they overlap. There's places where it's both power relation and objective capacities or both power relations and relationships of communication, right? Which also implies maybe there's some places where it's more objective capacities and relationships of communication and less about power relations as well. So overlap. And then he, he goes on and he says, support one another reciprocally, right? They engage with each other. And beyond that, use each other mutually as a means to an end, which is very interesting because that implies not only does, does power relations involve the use of objective capacities or relationships of communication, but also maybe relationships of communication use power relations, right? or objective capacities. The transformation of things in the workspace relies on power relations, right? And these two objective capacities and relationships of communication also use each other. So he goes on and he says, this coordination between these three types of relationships is neither uniform nor constant. This is another reason why we can't just look for power per se. Things change over time. We have to be a little bit more specific, a little bit more granular. We have to actually look at how things are organized in a particular society. And this is a bit of a side note. Foucault's analysis here is also telling us you can't just like look at theory from the 1940s and try to figure out who are the fascists right now, you know, or who are the Stalinists right now, or take the book 1984 and map that onto stuff. That's doing terrible politics and power analysis from a Foucauldian perspective because you're not actually looking at what's in front of you and you're defining things in terms of a template that you're just importing and trying to impose yourself onto the present. And there's also some implications perhaps for Foucault's own project, which ends in the 1980s for us in the new millennium. He goes on and he says, in a given society, there's no general type of equilibrium between goal-directed activities, these objective capacities, right? Systems of communication and power relations. Rather, there's diverse forms, diverse places, diverse circumstances, but it's not totally up for grabs then. We don't have to like say, oh, well, every single situation is different. Nobody knows anything. Why not? Because there are what he calls blocks. He says, there are blocks in which the adjustment of abilities, the resources of communication and power relations constitute regulated and concerted systems. And he says, take the example of an educational institution, the disposal of its space, the meticulous regulations that govern its internal life, the different activities organized there, the diverse persons who live there or meet one another, each with their own function, their well-defined character. All these things constitute a block of capacity communication, power, all three of these types of relations. Activity to ensure learning and the acquisition of aptitudes or types of behavior works 
via a whole ensemble of regulated communication. He gives examples of these lessons, questions, and answers. We could go on and on. Differential marks of the value of each person and by means of a whole system of power processes. What are the power processes he talks about here? Enclosure. Schools have campuses. You're stuck on the campus. You can't leave, right? You're supposed to be in a given place at a given time. Surveillance. Hall monitors are an example of this, right? Reward and punishment. Right? Grades. Detention. Pyramidal hierarchy. Who's overseeing who? All the way up to the superintendents. And he says, these blocks constitute what we might call, enlarging a little the sense of the word, disciplines. Now, this is another very important Foucauldian concept, that of the disciplines, right? Sometimes we talk about academic disciplines, and we forget that in the academic disciplines, we have all this other stuff going on, you know? You don't get to be a philosophy professor without jumping through all sorts of hoops, most of which are pretty arbitrary, quite frankly, but are, you know, coordinated by some sort of rationality. We can say that for every other academic discipline, but there's disciplines running throughout institutions in our life. Nursing involves certain disciplines, which involves getting a, a degree, but then also getting credentialed and then also working in the hospital. Being in the military involves other things. And, and you notice that the, these all connect with each other, right? So what does disciplining of society mean? This is where we get to something really quite interesting. What is to be understood by the disciplining of societies in Europe since the 18th century, he says, is not, of course, that the individuals who are part of them become more and more obedient, nor that all societies, this is very important, become like barracks, schools, or prisons. We'll come back to that in a moment. Rather, it is that an increasingly controlled, more rational and economic process of adjustment has been sought between these three things. Objective capacities, or as he calls them, productive activities, communications networks, right? Relationships of communications and the play of power relations. And he says to approach the theme of power by an analysis of how is to introduce several critical shifts and we're going to talk about this elsewhere. I want to come back to this point, though, that he's making a very offhand thing. What is, besides the everything is power, what is the other main misunderstanding of Foucault that gets turned into memes in our day? Everything's a prison, man. Foucault right here is telling you that what is to be understood by the disciplining of societies is not that all societies become like barracks, schools, or prisons. He's not saying everything's a prison. As a matter of fact, to read Foucault in that way is to totally misunderstand Foucault's points. It's not just prisons, schools, hospitals, barracks, all these other things. And we might even think about, you know, the, the practices of the internet at this point and the organization of corporate America and the derivation of new financial instruments. All of that fits within the scope of this. It's not just about prisons. So Foucault thinks it's very important that we shift our gaze, at least for the time being, to the how of power relations. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.